It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Welcome back to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. It's great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson. And as you know, we're always looking at all the perspectives and all the angles. And we're very pleased to be joined by someone who really looks at all the angles. Uh, we have Ben Burgess on the line. Uh, he has a new book out. It's called Canceling Comedians While the World Burns. Uh, he's a popular YouTube host. Uh, of course, the. Uh, Regularly debates, I would say, uh, libertarians and conservatives, uh, but he also spent some time uh, calling out the left from the left, and uh, that's why we love that, because we're equal, equal opportunity offenders on this show. Uh, ben, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so, so let's talk about your uh, your new book, Canceling Comedians While the World Burns. Give us, give us the backstory. Yeah, so uh, the book is basically my attempt to come to grips with all the ways that it seems to me that uh, the left undermines itself uh, and, and buys into what I would regard as a, uh, as a counterproductive uh, culture of moralism, by which I mean like an excessive focus on, on kind of evaluating whether individuals are uh, are good or bad, and whether somebody is, you know, is problematic in some way, uh, in a way that can, I think, uh, as well as being just bad on a human level, you know, as a way of interacting with each other, uh, really undermine our ability to actually win over a majority to accomplish all the goals that we care about, you know, giving everybody health care, uh, ending the wars, uh, you know, rebuilding the labor movement, all that stuff. So one very small example uh, that I talk about in the book has to do with um, the presidential campaign uh, last year when uh, just before the Iowa caucus, Bernie Sanders was endorsed by the very popular comedian and podcaster Joe Rogan. And there were a lot of people who said that it was bad that uh, Bernie had embraced uh, Rogan's endorsement, pointing at various problematic things that Rogan had uh, had said uh, had said in the past and suggesting that, you know, that because of the importance of these issues, uh, he, you know, he should reject that. Which, if you're primarily concerned with sort of looking inside the souls of individuals, you know, is is uh, is Joe Rogan a good guy? Is he going to heaven or is he going to hell? That sort of makes sense. But if your if your goal is to win over as many people as possible, uh, so you can win, it, uh, it it really doesn't make sense. Granted, in that instance, you know, a lot of that was ginned up by bad faith actors, supporters of other candidates. But it seemed to me that a troubling number of people who would have liked to see Bernie win, uh, you know, were, were still, uh, you know, were still going along with that and said, "Oh no, it really is a problem. He really shouldn't have accepted this guy's endorsement." And uh, that is the kind of thing. Like I said, it's a small example, but I think it's a telling example as far as the range of issues that I'm trying to criticize um, the contemporary left for in this book. And you know, and I should say, trying to criticize it. Uh, because I want it to be better, because I want it to win. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, yeah, and I and I think that's the the real test. I mean, uh, 
it's easy to it's easy easy to yell at your enemies. It's easy to you know shout your talking points across the aisle. But it's are you willing to to talk to your friends or the people that uh, you think are on the same side? That is the is the real test. And uh, I wanted to to drill down with you just a little bit uh, around sure. this whole idea of of cancel culture. Uh, because mm-hmm. often it seems that, uh, and I see this on the on the right as well as on the left, uh, but this this cancel culture idea, or uh, as you put it, if we're looking so deep into the soul that we you know we we think we're electing a pastor in chief as opposed to a president, uh, that we we often end up uh, unraveling the very goal or the very thing we're trying to achieve. Yeah, exactly. And and I totally agree with you, by the way, about cancel culture being something that infects the entire political spectrum. Uh, I would argue that it's something that comes out of a lot of things. The fact that we live in an incredibly atomized society where people often feel most connected to others online. The fact that the social media platforms are owned by for-profit companies that have the same incentive that you know Marvel and Philip Morris have to make their product as addictive as possible. Uh, the, the fact that most Americans work at non-unionized workplaces where they can be fired over anything. So, like, uh, if, you know, online mobs are often able to, to get people fired. And all of those things, again, they do play out in the entire political spectrum. Uh, we could spend probably much longer than we're going to have for this, you know, talking about right-wing and centrist examples of this. But I'm primarily concerned with the left because I'm a leftist and I'd, I'd like us to win. And uh, and so I'm not really that concerned if, if my political enemies want to uh, want to kind of eat themselves and tear each other apart over small differences. But I'm much more concerned <laughs> if my political friends do. Uh, and that's such an important thing. And it uh, I, I, I chuckle at it because uh, it is often uh, – and again, I see this on both sides of the aisle. It's like, OK, we're going to watch them. You know, I, I think the Democrats are and the left are watching you know, the Republicans uh, go after Liz Cheney this week. And yeah, they yeah. say, well, that's – yeah, that's that'll be good late night TV. So we'll we'll kind of chuckle along and, and do that. And the, and of course the right does it the same way uh, during you know the the big political battles. Uh, but the thing I want to get to to me the the real interesting takeaway uh, from all of this is I think it prevents us. Uh, you're you're very uh, focused and forthcoming, saying, "Hey, I, I want the left to win. I want these ideas and these principles and these policies to win." Uh, and mm-hmm. and I think sadly what happens is because of many of the things that you describe in your book, it prevents us from actually having the debate over the principles and the policies, and we get lost in the personality and the the the, the, the politicians of it all uh, that prevent us from actually getting to that principle and policy debate that you're talking about. No, exactly. I mean, I I, I think. Um you know, my friend uh, uh, Amberly Frost, uh, when I was, I was interviewing her on, on my show a while ago, put it very well that, like, oftentimes people form sort of parasocial relationships with uh, with public figures and are very invested in, you know, in, in thinking about whether they're good people or bad people. But, you know, the way the way Amber put it is like, look, that's not why I care about any of this. I mean, I, I already have friends. Now I want health care. <laughs> That's, that is a great way to put it, and I think we can apply that to a host of, of policy issues. If we can say, let's just have, let's talk about the healthcare issue, let's talk about uh, the planet, let's talk about 
uh, you know, jobs and the economy and infrastructure and all of those things. Uh, we all should have enough friends as it is. <laughs> we, we don't need the politician to be to be the friend for sure. Uh, well, it, it's great insight. And uh, Ben, I appreciate your perspective, again, coming from the left and, and what you're hoping to do to get the left to focus on their principles and policies. Uh, I think that's an important thing uh, for the left. And I think it's important for the those on the other side of the aisle to do the same thing so we can actually have a competition of policy and ideas in the end. Uh, Ben Burgess uh, joining us again. Canceling Comedians While the World Burns uh, is his new book. And uh, Ben, we'll have you back. I want to continue this conversation. Absolutely. All right. Again, that's Ben Burgess joining us. uh, And uh, again, he he wants the left to win. Uh, And I'm okay with that Uh, because that's what he believes. Those are the principles. Those are the policies uh, that he's buying into. So he wants to see those wins. And so he's calling out the left saying, Hey, this, this isn't working because we're not winning the policy conversation because we're doing cancel culture and all these other things. Uh, and the same can be said about those on the right, that we're having all the wrong battles and all the wrong conversations for all the wrong reasons about all the wrong things. And what does that do? It prevents us and it keeps us a safe distance from having the conversations we actually care about and the conversations we need to have as a country. And uh, so it's not every day that we have a democratic socialist on this program, uh, but great insight into t- in terms of what we should be looking for and how we should be engaging on the principles and the policies that we do care about. Don't let them get lost in cancel culture or personality battles uh, from either side of the aisle. Let's talk principles and policies and let's see what wins there. That's the name of the game. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.